<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. My name is Jillian Lee Garner. And I'm Courtney Bell. As we all know, every day millions take to the internet to find love, lust, a little something in between. While some of these hangouts result in exciting new relationships, some become devastating dates with death. We're about to share with you the story of one such deadly online connection and hopefully how you can avoid it. It's time for I Met My Murderer Online. Welcome back. Yes, we are at episode six, season two, and it has been something. It has been a journey. It has been a journey, yes. This one, you guys, is really intense, and we just want to remind you that we are learning about these stories right along with you, and we are learning simultaneously how to protect ourselves. So, Craigslist. Ah, oh, Craigslist. I have bought many a music festival ticket from Craigslist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Craigslist can be a useful resource for selling old furniture, buying a used car. But for popular New York City radio host George Weber, Craigslist posts led to his murder. Just a few days before his 48th birthday, Weber was found dead in his apartment, stabbed 50 times. And when police started their investigation, they discovered that George Weber may have met his murderer online. I'm George Weber in the WABC newsroom. Coming up in just five minutes on the news, crazed cabbies from hell. Well, who's worse, the cabbies or the passengers? We'll have a full report coming up in just five minutes on 77 WABC. George Weber, a popular radio personality in New York City, was brutally murdered in his Brooklyn brownstone on March 20th, 2009. George's career in radio was successful. He had worked for several networks and was currently working for ABC Radio Network doing news updates. He was known as, quote, the news guy. He had worked as an on-street reporter, news anchor, and host of a late-night radio show. Coworkers recall hearing Weber say that he had the best job in the world. George Weber had worked all over the country. This is investigative journalist Joe Garner. He loved his job as a radio host. The stories he covered had a personal connection to him or the area that he lived in, which was Carroll Gardens. He was a regular at a local bar there called Angry Wade's and knew most of his neighbors. He was even known to bring his dog, Noodles, with him while investigating a story so people would be more likely to open up to him. The day of his death, he had just completed and posted a story about an outbreak of bedbugs in his neighborhood to his personal blog. 
Weber loved his neighborhood and wrote many articles about it on his blog. This is criminal defense attorney Allison Treisel. Carroll Gardens used to be known for being a hub for the mafia, but it had transitioned to being a safe area where everybody knew your name. It even had a local bar reminiscent of the Cheers bar. Weber's personal website biography reads, Hey, it's George Weber, the news guy. For more than a decade, I've been on the airwaves of New York City radio. I started in broadcasting at the tender young age of 16 at tiny WBUX in Doylston, Pennsylvania. For the next 25 years, I hopscotched the country working at great radio stations. Depending on the day and the year, I was either doing talk radio or news. I love them both. George Weber was described as a charismatic guy with a great life, but he had a secret. The story began to unravel when George didn't show up for work two days in a row, something that was very out of character for him. So his co-workers were concerned and called the police to go check on him. Police arrived at George Weber's apartment at 1 a.m. on March 21st, 2009. They knock, but nobody answers. They look around for any sign of foul play or forced entry, but don't find anything and leave. Police can search a person's house without a warrant if they have reasonable belief that somebody is in danger. But George Weber, he was a grown man, and the police didn't see anything to show that he was in danger. Since they didn't have cause to kick down his door, police decided to leave his apartment and check back the next day. That proved to be a fatal error because had they known what was on the other side of that door, they would have been inside in a second. Police came back nine hours later at 10 a.m. after his coworker called a second time. There was still no answer. However, a neighbor of Weber told police that they had heard water running all night in Weber's apartment. That same neighbor also mentioned that they had seen a man standing outside his apartment the previous night. They then guide police to the side door that George kept unlocked, and they were able to get inside of his apartment. But when police entered Weber's New York apartment, it was a very disturbing sight. The apartment had been ransacked, and there was a lot of blood. Something had happened, and it couldn't have been anything good. When police go into the bedroom, they find George Weber's body. His pants and underwear are at his ankles, which were bound with duct tape. There's blood everywhere, and he had been stabbed 50 times. It was clear that George Weber had been brutally murdered. The people that work with George at the radio station said they were stunned to hear about his murder. A former co-worker spoke highly of George, saying that he was a good guy. She said everybody liked George. She said he was kind and he was decent and gentle and honest and generous. She said he was a very gentle spirit in a very tough business. So if George had no enemies, who murdered him? And why in such an overtly violent way? He was stabbed 50 times. This wasn't an accident. Who murdered George Weber? What makes a life a good one? 
Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Everything seemed normal in George Weber's life. He loved his job. He loved his neighborhood in New York City. He loved his dog. So it was a shock to everyone who knew him when he was found dead in his apartment, stabbed 50 times with his underwear around his duct-taped ankles. So who could have committed this gruesome murder? And why? Attorney Allison Treasel. Talk radio in New York City was the epicenter of shock jocks like Howard Stern and Don Imus. They worked overtime to offend their listeners daily. George's stories or opinions wouldn't be bad enough to get him killed. This is investigative journalist Joe Garner. But it wouldn't be the first time that an obsessed, deranged listener targeted a radio personality. On June 18th in 1984, Alan Berg was murdered in his driveway by a crazy listener. Berg whipped listeners in the Denver, Colorado area into a frenzy with his steadfast liberal views. Could George maybe have said something that drove a listener to kill him? Allen Berg is the most extreme example of what can happen to a radio host. Naturally, when a radio host is killed, people would reference Berg's senseless murder. But George Weber, he wasn't that guy. He wasn't that personality on air. When detectives couldn't find any motive or suspects from George's work or personal life, they turned to his digital life for more information. While George's in-person life revolved around work and his dog, his online life showed a completely different side, one that connected him to an unlikely and much younger person online. George Weber used Craigslist, but... Weber seemed to have made his way to a very specific side of Craigslist. George Weber answered an ad under the username Smotherboy and had an exchange with the user called GreekSatan92. This is criminal defense attorney Allison Treasel. GreekSatan92 was offering sexual services for money. They had posted several different postings for different sexual acts. Weber found one of these posts and replied. They sent messages back and forth, and Greek Satan 92 mentioned that he was only 16 years old. Weber wanted Greek Satan 92 to come to his apartment and smother him. Weber sent photos and descriptions of exactly what he wanted. No sex involved. Greek Satan 92 agreed to the terms. $60 for 30 minutes of smothering. At around 6 p.m. on March 20th, Weber lets Greek Satan 92 into his apartment and he checks out the fit and 16-year-old young man. Allegedly what happened, stated by Greek Satan 92, is that he arrived at Weber's apartment and Weber offered him a beer again to this underage man. Relax, man. Here, you want a beer? Yeah. yeah. Sip, sip, man. Thank you. It's to you. 
However, at that time, Weber added one thing that he hadn't previously discussed online. Greek Satan 92 said that Weber asked him to apply a sex drug referred to as poppers on a rag to his face while smothering him. Yeah, that stuff. Poppers. You ever have any? You want some? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm fine, man. Just, oh, I'm come just... on, man. So I want you to take this stuff and you put it on a rag, right? And you take that rag and put it on my face and then you grab a pillow and you're going to smother me with the pillow, right? The drug was used to heighten Weber's sexual pleasure. Weber said that he had done this before, and Greek Satan 92 agreed. Next, they enter the bedroom. Weber lays down on his back on the bed and has Greek Satan 92 lightly bind both his wrists and ankles in duct tape. Then, Weber instructs him to get on top of him and smother him on and off in 30 to 40 second increments. During this, Allegedly, Weber wanted to feel more exposed and vulnerable, so he tells Greek Satan 92 to pull down his pants and underwear. Greek Satan 92 said that he was uncomfortable because that was not the plan, but does what Weber asked. Next, Weber tells him to perform a sexual act. And from what Greek Satan 92 said, this is when things went sideways. Greek Satan 92 said that he wouldn't complete the sex act Weber wanted, as it wasn't part of their original agreement. Allegedly, Weber got angry with him, saying that since they were already there, they might as well. According to Greek Satan 92, Weber pulled out a knife. Claiming he was scared, he managed to get the knife and allegedly stabbed Weber in self-defense. In the struggle, Greek Satan 92's hand was cut badly. The prosecution in the case gave a different story of that night. In their version, the young man brought the knife with him to George's apartment, knowing exactly what he intended on doing that night. It is unclear if Weber reached for the knife because his ankles were duct taped together and he was planning to cut himself free, or if Greek Satan 92 was actually in danger. Weber was stabbed eight times in the neck and an additional 42 more times in his arms, chest, and back. Weber also had defensive wounds on his hands. The stabbing was bloody and gruesome. After stabbing George Weber, he dropped his bloody clothing in Weber's bathtub, wrapped his hand, and changed into some of Weber's clothes before leaving the apartment. Police search for Greek Satan 92 using every resource possible to track his digital trail. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. George Weber, 47-year-old New York City radio newsman, was found dead in his apartment, stabbed over 50 times. Police looked into Weber's online life and found a Craigslist posting that led to the possible killer, a 16-year-old self-proclaimed sadomasochist with the online username GreekSatan92. 
Police investigate Weber's digital life and find a lot of useful information. A Craigslist posting pushed the investigation towards a user named GreekSatan92, who is then identified as 16-year-old John Kateas. After looking into Kateas's MySpace profile, it became increasingly obvious that he was involved. Journalist Joe Garner. People share varying levels of themselves online. Kateas used his social media presence to portray a very scary and demonic figure. His description of himself on MySpace was pretty telling. His description read, My name is John. I am, I am 16, 16 years, years of age. and live I live in, in Queens, Queens, New York. I enjoy drinking, bike riding, hanging out with friends, roof hopping, hanging off trains, any type of parkour exercise, extreme chaos, video games, violent movies. I'm like an adrenaline junkie. I'm always looking for a big thrill. I'm a big risk taker and like to live life on the edge. I'm an extremist and a sadomasochist. As long as you show me respect, then I'll show you respect. If you disrespect me, then I'll break your neck. Kateas also posted on a website called Xtube, a pornographic website known for being the first site to allow users to upload their own pornography. Kateas had an account on Xtube where he listed his hobbies as buying swords, playing video games, fighting, and sex. He also posted many pictures on his MySpace page of him with various knives. It is clear he was trying very hard to create an intimidating persona at a very young age. Looking through his profiles, it's hard to believe he was only a 16-year-old kid. After the police discovered the extent of Kateas's online life and the connection between him and George Weber on Craigslist, he becomes their prime suspect. When they can't find Kateas, they contact his father to help. Do you have a son? I mean, he's my son. It's... I know how difficult this is for you. I want him to be caught. I, I want him. It'll be good. It'll be good for him. John Kateas's father, who remained unnamed in all of the news coverage, was part of the plan to bring John into custody. I know he needs $300. I could tell him that we're going to give him the money. I'm going to give him the money. And we could meet up. His father called John and offered to give him $300 if he agreed to meet him. But when John arrived, the police arrested him and brought him in for questioning. Police arrest John Kateas for George Weber's murder on March 25, 2009. Searching for who killed an ABC radio anchor in his Brooklyn apartment took a really dark turn today. To refresh your memory, cops found George Weber stabbed to death in his home Sunday. His walls were splattered with blood. Someone stabbed him about 50 times. Well, today, police arrested a 16-year-old boy. Uh, Look at the kid's photo on MySpace. We have it blurred there, but you see him holding the knife. His page has some weird satanic undertones uh, and apparent obsession with weapons, as you see there. So how's this boy, uh, he's so young, tied to such a brutal attack? Join me now to talk about this, our prime news law enforcement analyst. When arrested, he didn't show any remorse. He even laughed. 
He confessed partially to the murder before even making it back to the station. He told police he had responded to a Craigslist posting from George Weber. Now that John Cateus is in police custody, the case seems closed. That is, until Cateus claims he only stabbed Weber out of self-defense. Cateus claimed Weber offered him beer and cocaine. Cateus said that it was because it was his first time doing cocaine that it made him jumpy and paranoid. According to Cateus, the two men struggled over the knife. I was super paranoid. No, so I don't know why I went to grab the knife, because I don't want the knife. And then I guess he got paranoid too, and we were both struggling over the knife. During the struggle, Cateus cut his right hand. So the second I saw him pull out, I just got paranoid and I grabbed it. I went to go grab for it, and then he was trying to yank back. So we were both yanking over the knife, and that's how I wound up cutting my finger. But Weber was still alive when Cateus was done. Before leaving, Cateus grabbed money from Weber's pocket. Before I left, I went to his, uh, I went back to him. He was still there. He was still like moving around and cursing, like mumbling now. But I went into his, uh, his left pocket. Like, I, well, I dig through his pockets, but in his left pocket, he had uh, 60 bucks. So I don't know, I took the 60 bucks. That's originally, I guess, what he was going to pay me because it was stupid smothering garbage. After the stabbing, it is believed Cateus cleaned himself up because the bathtub and sink faucets were left running until police entered the home the following morning. Cateus agreed to give his statement, but since his hand was cut, he requested the detective write it out for him. At one point, Cateus corrects the detective who was writing the statement, making him add the word accidentally into the confession. Cateus's demeanor was calm, almost cocky, He was heard giggling between bites of his donut while giving his confession. He didn't show any signs of a guilty conscience. But that didn't mean he wasn't guilty or that his story was the full truth. John Cateus goes to court, and this open and shut case proves to be anything but. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. John Cateus' trial begins in October 2010 when he is 17 years old. He is charged with second-degree murder and criminal possession of a weapon. Cateus, despite confessing to the police during his arrest, pleads not guilty to all charges, claiming that he killed George Weber in self-defense. Cateus went to court and had the same mentality that he'd had during his confession to police. He was relaxed, or at least putting on a mask of smug confidence. He actually fell asleep at one point in the trial. It was hard to tell if this was a 17-year-old's way of coping with a traumatic experience or if he really was the calculating extremist he claimed to be on social media. The two sides give their opening statements to the jury. They both had very different stories to tell about what happened on the night of March 20th, 2009. How and why did the two men actually connect on Craigslist? This is defense attorney Allison Treasel. The defense argued that Cateus was innocent because at the time of the incident, 
He was only 16 years old. The defense lawyer argued that because Cateus was under the age of legal consent, that George Weber took advantage of him. Their version of the story painted George Weber as a pedophiliac, drunk, and Cateus as a duped young kid. Weber contacted a 16-year-old, paid him for sex, gave him drugs, all the while being drunk himself. George had a blood alcohol content of 0.12 at the time of his death. Prosecution argues that Cateus is not an innocent teenager who was tricked, but rather a dangerous man who murdered George Weber with no remorse. A thrill kill, as the prosecutor describes. Prosecution said Cateus and Weber exchanged emails and pictures before meeting in Weber's apartment, and that both were aware that the meeting was of a sexual nature. She also argued that while Cateus claimed that cocaine played a large role in the night, no cocaine was actually found at the scene or in Weber's system during the autopsy. She describes Cateus as a cold, calculating, savvy killer. The jurors in the Cateus trial deliberated for days and ultimately could not come up with a unanimous answer. The case was declared a mistrial. One aspect that kept the jurors unsure was the validity of the original confession. The defense brought up that Cateus had to correct the officer who wrote out his confession due to Cateus's injured hand. They argued that the police weren't objective and called into question the entire confession. Without a clear ending, there was no closure for the family and friends of George Weber. It was over a year later, in November of 2011, that the second trial began. During his second trial, a decision was finally made. Cateus was declared guilty of second-degree murder and criminal possession of a weapon. Despite having been 16 years old at the time of the murder, he was 18 years old during the second trial and was tried as an adult. He was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. Andrew Dodge, host of the Unforbidden Truth podcast, conducted a jailhouse interview with John Cateus. Cateus told Andrew, during the trial, he was housed in New York's notorious Rikers Island jail. He says his trial was mostly a blur. Living in the conditions that I was living in, specifically like on Rikers Island, like being around all that madness and, you know, just with all the violence around me and being able to actually focus on trial and being able to focus on, you know, what maybe I needed to do. And so when I was in the courtroom during the entire trial, like most of the time I really wasn't there, like mentally, you know, and I guess I could say I was embarrassed too, you know, just, you know, being in the newspapers all the time. And, and you know, I just, but throughout the majority of the trial, mentally I wasn't there. Physically I was there, but I mean, you know, I would sit in my chair and just sink into my own mind. I really paid no attention. I didn't speak on the stand. And really, I feel like that also really harmed me because I never actually told my own story or anything. And I just I just let everything around me just go as it went. I just didn't want to be there. And whatever happened just happened during the trial. Like, I barely even remember it. John Cateus learned right away that 25 years to life is a long, long time especially when you're living in some of the harshest prison conditions. After Rikers, John went to Clinton Correctional Facility, a maximum security state prison in upstate New York. 
that place is like a hellhole. You know, it's this frozen little hell on top of a mountain. You know, at the north New York State. You know, it's it's a it's a horrible place to be. You know, when you first walk in there, like you can just feel like the suffering and the pain. You know, when you first uh, walk down that gallery, you know, and you just get into that cell and the gate locks behind you. You know, you just got this tiny little metal box with bars on one end with a, you know, a, a toilet two feet away from where you're going to rest your head on your bed and a sink that's so close to the bed that when you turn it on, it splashes water onto the bed. It's like, you know, at that moment, you're just thinking, like, oh, my God, what the hell? Like, how the hell did I get here? And you can just feel that uneasiness. It's just in the air, you know, and all that pain and suffering permeating the walls it's, it's a dark place you know literally also it's literally a dark place like the lighting's not good and it just adds to that whole atmosphere of of just that haunting you know it's, it's cold too like most of the year it's freezing up there because the, it's in the Adirondack Mountains and it's literally on top of a mountain the prison it's just it's a terrible place after five years in prison Kateas gave an interview that cleared up some of the details of his case. According to Kateas, his teenage self thought that lying about the cocaine or giving different stories about that night would help him in court. He said he regrets what he did and said that if he had just come forward with all the facts, he wouldn't have gotten such a serious sentence. Kateas also claimed that he posted the ads on Craigslist as a joke to see people's reactions. He never planned to actually go through with it until Weber messaged him. George Weber loved his community, and they loved him. There was a memorial held at the local bar, Angry Wades, where patrons left notes on bar napkins in Weber's honor. We'll never really know for certain what happened on March 20th, 2009, because all we have is Gateas' word. This case is not as black and white as people would have liked. People feel safe behind their computer screens when, in fact, it can be one of the most dangerous places to be. Somebody's in-person and digital lives can be completely different than who they are. And I think in this particular case, you know, I don't know how much of an opinion Jillian and I have on what has happened in this terrible circumstance. You know, we are discovering this story and and developing opinions about it at the exact same time as you guys are, and I hope that this can provide some kind of open dialogue and conversation in your own lives. I'm Courtney Bell. And I'm Jillian Lee Garner. Please subscribe, leave a rating and comment, and follow us on Instagram at IMMMO Podcast. Be safe. We'll see you next time.